for you. So we're in our series in the book of Joshua this morning, and if you want to turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 9, we'll get there in a minute. But um, our series entitled Stepping into a New Day, and we've been talking about the fact that that God has a new day. He is a land for each one of us. That every single one of us will be able to say yes for sure. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And it becomes evident in our lives. Amen? I mean, that's what God has for us. This land, we've said it's a place of blessing. It's a place of purpose. It's a place of fruitfulness for us where we fulfill the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to accomplish. And so that's what we've been looking at here in our study in the book of Joshua, stepping into a new day. But our message this morning is entitled Deception and Salvation in the Promised Land. Deception and Salvation in the Promised Land. And um, we're in Joshua 9. I want to begin by reading for us from verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 15. Joshua 9, 1 through 15. And the Bible says, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. That is, they heard how the Israelites had destroyed Jericho and the city of Ai. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because the name because of the name of the Lord, or that is Yahweh, your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to king of Heshbon and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtra. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. And these wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the long, very long journey. So the men, that's the Israelite men, took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. And Father, we ask you for your blessing upon your word, that you give us ears to hear what your spirit would want to say to us today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. And so word has spread regarding the Israelites. I mean, everyone has heard how the Israelites recently destroyed Jericho and I. And thus the enemy was what was on its guard. They knew that they were in trouble and the enemy was becoming proactive. 
That meant organizing and coming against the Israelites head on. It meant picking up spears and swords and entering into an all-out battle. But one group of people decided to take a different approach. The Gibeonites decided not to use force. The Gibeonites decided not to attack head-on. They would use an altogether different tactic. Now listen, the Gibeonites may not have been the most noble of people. They would not be written up in the history books as an example of great courage. But one thing should be pointed out. They, better than any of the others, met their objective, survival and a piece of the land. And when the rest of the peoples were being destroyed, the Gibeonites were being protected. When the rest of the peoples were being driven from the land, the Gibeonites were yet living in their cities. The Gibeonites, you see, succeeded in their attack against the Israelites. How? Why? We see the Israelites were prepared for the enemy to come against them with spear and sword, to come head on in all-out battle. They were not, however, prepared for an enemy who would infiltrate their ranks through deceit. And thus they were deceived right in the middle of the promised land into an ungodly alliance, a relationship they were not supposed to have. They were deceived into disobedience against God and into giving a piece of the land back to the enemy. But listen, church, here's the thing. We've all heard it said that there are two sides to every story, have we not? Right? Especially when listening to stories of conflict between people. I mean, it happens to me all the time. You know, a husband might come to me or the wife might come to me and begin to describe all the difficulties in their marriage and in their home. But in the back of my mind, I'm saying, you know, there's another side to this story. And it's important to remember that there are two sides to be heard, two perspectives on the same event, two sets of information to be gathered. And as I've read this story over and over again, and this message this morning was just going in one direction, but I began reading it over and over again, I began to realize that this is one of those stories that has two sides to it. From one, from one perspective, it is a story of deception and even failure, yet from another perspective, it's a story of salvation. As we look at the story of Joshua 9, we can look at this story from the perspective of the Israelites who were deceived and who failed, or we can read it from the perspective of the Gibeonites who were saved. In fact, it seems to me there are lessons to be learned from each side to this one story. And so first, let's look at the story of deception. We might say a story of deception and failure. Now, listen, again, while the rest of the Canaanites were joining forces and preparing to go to war, the Gibeonites came up with a different plan. Rather than go head on into war against the Israelites, a war that they knew they were probably not going to win, they devised a plan by which they would deceive Joshua and the leaders to enter into a pact, into a covenant that would protect them. And notice the lengths to which they went choosing a delegation to represent them, dressing them to look like they had just come through a long journey across the desert, even placing what seemed to be old food and old wine within their stocks, and then coming up with a story to make Joshua and the other leaders believe that they had, had come from a foreign land, and thus they were not from among the, the people um, that the Israelites were supposed to destroy. It was quite an elaborate plan. I, I kind of would like to see it all played out in a movie someday. I mean, it's just fascinating what they did. And the thing is this. The plan worked. 
the plan worked. Look at verse 15 again. It says, and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. In other words, Joshua and the Israelites, they've been deceived. They made a pact with a group of people whom were supposed to be destroyed. They made a vow to let live and even to protect a group of Canaanite people, actually a clan from the Hivites. And what a terrible surprise it must have been to Joshua and the other leaders when the truth came out, when they realized they had been deceived by the enemy. Verse 16 says this, at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Imagine the shock for Joshua and the other leaders. They've been deceived. And so we have to say just right out, the Israelites then disobeyed God. By making such a pact with the Gibeonites, the leaders of Israel had failed, for they had directly disobeyed God. Because you see, back in the book of Exodus, Exodus 23, we read these words. God says to his people, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. In Exodus 34, God says it again. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going or they will be a snare among you. And the command gets repeated even later on in the book of Deuteronomy. You see, God do, knew the danger that lay ahead for his people should they make alliances with the, with the ungodly nations around them. God saw what would happen should they allow these people to live among them, how they would begin to intermarry with them and even begin to worship their gods, which they did later on with some of them. And thus God had strictly and di directly prohibited any alliances with these people. And thus by entering into this vow, into this covenant with the Gibeonites, Joshua and the leaders had directly disobeyed God, and they would be held accountable by God. Not only that, but if you go to verse 18, the end of the verse, we read that then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. In other words, the leaders lost credibility with the people. There was a backlash a backlash from among the people who had trusted in their leadership, trusted them to lead them and protect them, and rightfully so. But it seemed to the people that the leadership, including Joshua, had failed them. Not only that, but there would be unintended consequences. If you read on in Joshua 10, and we won't go there today, but you'll find that now that the Gibeonites were in a treaty with the Israelites, the Gibeonites themselves were now counted as enemies by the rest of the Canaanite nations. And thus, an alliance of Canaanite kings now goes on the attack against the Gibeonites. And because of their covenant, now Joshua and his men find themselves fighting a battle to rescue the Gibeonites, entering into a battle that, that they should not have had to fight. And so there were unintended consequences. And the reason for all of this, back at verse 14, the Israelites did not inquire of the Lord. Did we catch that, church? Come on, did we catch that? The Israelites did not inquire of the Lord. See, Joshua and the leaders failed to seek God's counsel. 
Maybe they thought this was an easy one. I can handle this. Yeah, you know. Maybe they thought they could figure it out. Maybe they thought it was no big deal. Yeah, okay, look, we see what's there. Whatever the case is, they failed to spot the deception of the enemy because they failed to pray and seek God for discernment, wisdom, and direction. I want to I tell us this morning that the Bible shows us that we have an enemy who can be very subtle and who often works by means of deception. That he is active even in the promised land, even in our new day. For after all, listen, this land we're talking about, it's not yet heaven. It's not yet heaven. And thus it is filled with enemies and trials and temptations and hardships. And sometimes the enemy of our souls can be very deceptive, using all of these things to try to hinder us in our walk with Christ, to keep us from experience all that God has for us, even working to turn us away from God. The enemy will use seemingly good and innocent things. You know, that nice person who comes into our life. Oh, see, she's so pretty and she's so nice. That innocent hobby that just seems to be consuming our, our minds and our time. That seemingly good job. So many things he can use to make his way into our lives. You know, I think about Jesus with the Apostle Peter. And just after, I mean, Peter had said, to Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he got this like incredible endorsement from Jesus, right? And then Jesus goes on to talk about the fact that he's going to die and so forth. And, and Peter, Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. And he wants to stop it from happening. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You know, sometimes even good people can become a tool of Satan in our lives to hinder us from what God wants to do in our lives. We need to be aware. Jesus speaks of those who are wolves in sheep's clothing, coming deceptively even among God's people. Oh, they seem so spiritual. They have so many gifts, and yet they come with a word to deceive. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5a, be alert and, so, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, the apostle Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think that's a good word for us today because so many times we, wanna, we, want the, we want the battle to be on a physical level. We're going at things on a physical level. The apostle Paul says, no, you need to put on the armor of God because this is a spiritual battle. That's why Jesus calls us to watch and pray. Matthew 26, he says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Luke 21, he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Listen, I may have shared this before, but when I was in college, I'm living with my Greek grandmother down in the Bronx and having to commute over to the campus of Fordham University. And every morning as I go down six flights down, come out in front of the apartment building and we were facing the living room window, facing the street there. She'd lean out the window. She'd be calling to me, do you have your, your, your umbrella, your banana and all this stuff? And then her last words always in Greek. I won't say it in Greek because I'll blow it. But she'll always say, and watch and pray. 
It was a good word to go into the day with, was it not? Watch and pray. Maybe we ought to be saying that to our kids and grandkids as we send them off to school each day. Watch, be alert, keep your eyes open. We're reminded this morning to be on the lookout for deception, for the subtle ways that, that Satan, our enemy, can step into our lives, be aware of the little things or the seemingly innocent things that he sends into our, into our lives to lead us into sin, to draw us away from God, to lead us into disobedience, to keep a piece of the land of our lives. And, you know, he may not be able to pull you out of the kingdom of God, but he wants to hold on to a piece in your life. And pray. The enemy can be real tricky. He knows how to stay one step ahead of us. He knows where we're weak and, and, and the things that tempt us. And so it's important for us not only to watch but to pray because sometimes we cannot discern with our own minds the truth of a matter. Sometimes things are not what they appear to be. And thus we will need great discernment and wisdom that comes from above. We'll need strength and determination that comes from the Holy Spirit. We're going to need the help of God to overcome the enemy of our souls, and thus we must pray. And I pray this morning that our story, that your story, my story, would not become a story of deception and failure, deception in this promised land, deception in this new day. I pray that, that, that we would not be like Joshua and the leaders were, that we would be led into deception and failure. But here's the flip side to this whole story. I call a story of salvation. A story of salvation. The other side of the coin, we might say. For there's a story from the perspective of the Gibeonites. After all, when the other Canaanites and their cities were being destroyed, the Gibeonites were saved. And in fact, not only were they saved, but eventually, eventually they became part of the people of God, even servants to the people of God. And here's why. Go down to verse 24 with me, if you will. Verse 24 of Joshua 9. When Joshua is questioning them, they say this to him. They answer Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. In other words, they had heard what God had promised to Moses. And they had seen what these people, what God's people had done to the other nations, and they sensed that that their fate was going to be the same and that God was going to uphold his promise to the Israelites. And so like Rahab of Jericho, whom we looked at a few weeks ago, Rahab, who had heard what God had promised to his people and believed it was true and so hid those, those spies, here these Gibeonites, they, they sense the same thing. Notice they even refer to God. They don't just say your God, but they call God by his name, his revealed name, Yahweh. Like that's how your God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And, and, and so what did they do? The Gibeonites put their faith into action. All that they did, the great lengths they went to, to deceive the Israelites and receive a promise for them was based on their faith. They took what they believed and they acted upon it. And thus, rather than try to fight against a people whose God had promised them this land, they sought for a way to join them. And again, all of this was based on the fact that they believed God's word. That's astounding to me. That's astounding to me. But here's the thing. Salvation always begins with faith, does it not? Right? 
The Bible says that it's not by our works, it's by our faith. Faith in God, faith in his works. Again, that's what caused Rahab to do what she did when she hid the spies. That's what caused the Gibeonites to do what they did in each case. It was faith that led to action. And we looked at this past year, James wrote, faith without works is dead. You can't just say, I believe, you have to act on it. Real faith always leads to action. And so we find the Gibeonites are saved. Again, when the other peoples were being destroyed, the Gibeonites were being protected. When the other cities were being demolished, the Gibeonite cities were allowed to stand because faith put into action always leads to salvation. And look with me at what it says in verses 25 through 27, where they go on to say, Now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did, that is, Joshua did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. In other words, the Gibeonites were given a place of service among God's people, even serving at the house of the Lord. This blows my mind as well. The Gibeonites became servants to God's people. We might say a blessing to God's people, serving as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of the Lord. That is, they served, here's the thing, they served alongside the priests and the Levites. What was meant to be a curse upon them, in many ways we could say, became a blessing to them. For although they might have become servants, they ended up in a very special place close to the presence of God. And if you go on in the Old Testament, you find that the Gibeonites eventually became one with the people of God. First Chronicles 12, we read of one of David's mighty men being Ishmael the Gibeonite. In the book of Nehemiah, we read of men from Gibeon working to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, Gibeonites are listed among those who have been taken into Babylonian exile with the Jews and who then returned to Jerusalem with the other exiles from Judah. Apparently, by the time of the exile, they become so fully absorbed into Israel and had become one with the people of God that when the Jewish people were exiled, the Gibeonites were among them. We even read in 2 Samuel 21 how God tells King David that a famine that had come upon the land for three years had come upon the nations because, due to the fact that Saul, when he was king, he had tried to slaughter the Gibeonites and do, with, and do away with them. In essence, God treats the Gibeonites as his own people. It's astounding. And in fact, we don't read, I can't find anywhere, I've, 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 I've dug and dug and dug, we don't find anywhere in the Old Testament where the Gibeonites led the people of Israel away from God. Rather, rather having been spared destruction, they gave themselves over to Yahweh as their God and served him alongside the people of God, becoming one with God's people and thus receiving his promises for themselves. So here's the thing. I know I've just said a lot. On the one hand, Joshua 9 is a story of deception and failure. And there's no excuse for what Joshua and the leaders did in making a pact with those who at the time were their enemies. However, as often happens, God takes our sin and our failures and those things that the enemy of our souls wants to use for evil, and he turns the tables. 
He turns the tables, using them for good. You see, because here's the thing. The ultimate enemy of God's people, we're not talking about the other Canaanites. We're talking about the ultimate enemy, Satan himself. He thought he had won and that the Gibeonites would lead the nation into sin and away from God as maybe others would do later on. But in this case, the result was a result that Satan could never have imagined that another whole group of people came to experience the salvation of God being grafted into Israel, made one with the people of God. It's a story of salvation. Oh, aren't you glad for that this morning, church? Come on. Come on. Amen. Boy, this really fits with missions today, doesn't it, right? So here's some lessons. Here's some lessons, and then I'll close. One, we must watch and pray. Amen, church? We need to be on on our guard against the schemes of the enemy, the enemy of our souls. He's out to devour God's people. He's out to devour you most of the time. We're concentrating on, on, on the obvious attacks. We're looking out at the things that are obvious, but most often he's much more subtle than that. None of us wants to be able to look back over our lives and see how it was that we were deceived. None of us wants our story to become a story of deception and failure. The second lesson I learned is this, that God is able to take all the things in our, in our lives, even our failures, and use them for good. For God loves to turn the tables on the enemy of our souls. And even your pain and failure can be used by God to bring about something good in your life and in the lives of others. I think of Joseph's words in Genesis chapter 50 to his brothers who who had just like really, really pushed him down as far as you could go. But God raises him up. And he says to his brothers much later on, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many li- saving of many lives. Oh, that we would be able to say that even to the enemy of our souls. You intended to harm me, but God took the things that you threw into my life. He turned the tables, and he used it for good, even the saving of many lives. Amen? And the final lesson is simply this, and it fits so well with our missions theme. And um, Luciano, if you come, thank you. God desires for all people to be saved. Do you believe that, church? Come on. God desires for all people to be saved. God desires to bring people of every nation into his kingdom. Listen, if the rest of the, 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 um, if the, rest of the Canaanite peoples had believed God's word, they too could have been saved, right? But God always responds to real faith. He never turns anyone away. God always responds to those who will call upon his name. And as I was reading this, my mind went to Matthew chapter 15. We won't read it. But if you remember there, a Canaanite woman comes before Jesus asking for deliverance and healing for her little girl. And Jesus says, no, I've come first for the people of Israel. And she's there and she's weeping. And she says, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. And you know what he says to her? He says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed, was made whole. Listen, Rahab of Jericho, the Gibeonites, this Canaanite woman before Jesus, and how many more? Although they were once destined for destruction, they were saved. You know why? Because the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? 
All who call, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past or what what your color is or your economic status or what you once believed. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the same is true of everyone. Everyone. Even every one of us here today because the truth is we were all once God's enemies, were we not? The Bible says that Christ died for our sins when we were still his enemies. We were all headed for destruction. We were all separated from God. But the day we called upon the name of the Lord in faith, we took a step of faith, action, tied to faith. Jesus comes into our lives by his spirit. He saves us. He grafts us in, as Paul says. Grafts us into the people of God. And we receive all the promises of God as if they were spoken directly to us. Amen? I just close with this. Just last week, we looked at defeat in the promised land. We looked at the story of Achan. And I was thinking about Achan versus these Gibeonites. Actually, Achan's story is put between Rahab's story and the Gibeonite story. And Achan, you see, was part of the people of God. He had all the promises, right, of God. And yet he was deceived into putting his trust in the riches of the world. And so he stole what he ought not have taken. Achan put his faith in material stuff rather than in God as his provider and helper. And in spite of being part of Israel, part of the people of God, Achan, rather than receiving salvation, experienced destruction. God forbid that should be the story of any of us here today. But Gibeon, the Gibeonites, on the other hand, they put their faith in God and in his word and went to great lengths to demonstrate that faith. And they were saved. Oh, that your story and mine would be a story of salvation. Amen. So the question becomes this. You see it there on the screen. Which story will be your story? Will yours be a story of deception, failure, sin, and destruction? This is why the Bible tells us, yeah, you know, you give your faith. You, give, you, you put your faith in Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. But Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. The Bible speaks about persevering. The Bible speaks about running the race. I was thinking today is the Shrewsbury 5K, right? Man, I wish I could be running 5Ks these days. I I can't do it right now. But there's a greater race for us to run than town 5Ks. It's a race that God has called us to as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to run that race with perseverance. Let's not allow our, our story to become one of deception, failure, sin, destruction, but let it be a story of faith, action, and salvation. The Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day of salvation. So let's trust God for that salvation as we give our lives to serving Him and serving Him alone. Will you bow your heads with me? and Worship team, you can come. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just take a moment to pray. Let me ask you, what track are you on? What's going to be the story of your life? The day that you come to your end, will it be a story of salvation or will it be a story of deception and failure? Will those those who are remembering your life say, yeah, that was a man, that was a woman who persevered all the way to the end. They put their faith into action or will it be 
a story of, well, they were once were serving God. We once had them with us, worshiping God. But the enemy, so subtle, got into their life and deceived them. And they fell away. What will your story be? If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Today, today I just know, like, maybe for the first time, you need to commit your life to God through faith in his son, Jesus. You just know today you're headed on the wrong track. And today, you need God's forgiveness and his gift of salvation. Or maybe today you're here and you've been part of the people of God. But you know that things have been happening in your life and you've been maybe drifting away, floating away, whatever you want to say. Your heart's been turned. Say, Pastor, today pray for me. I, I just sense I need to recommit my life to following Christ. I mean, if you're in either of those categories right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just, just lift your hand right now. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you right now. Come on, I see hands that are going up here. Any others today? Come on. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. We're going to pray for God's work. We're going to pray God's protection over your life. We're going to pray the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. And would you stand together, church, as we pray? Come on. Let's do that. Let's all stand together. And Father, you see those whose hands were lifted to you, those who are saying maybe someone here today in this sanctuary, someone online today with us is saying, Jesus, would you come into my life? Jesus, would you, would you make today the day of salvation for me as I commit my life to you, to live for you, to follow you as I put faith into action today? Father, I pray for the ministry of your spirit to wash away every sin, to bring forgiveness, to bring wholeness, to bring help, to bring healing, to bring hope this morning, that their story would be changed from a story of deception and failure and destruction and instead become a story of salvation. God, I pray for those in this, in this place and maybe some online who lifted their hands saying, God, today, I know I need to recommit my life to you. I just sense that something's turned in my heart and somehow maybe the enemy has begun to deceive me. Lord, but today I take a step, God, to call out to you again, to put my faith in you again, to commit myself. And I'm asking, we're praying, God, that by your Holy Spirit for them, for each one of us here today, that you would help us to be people who would know what it means to watch and pray, to be alert to the enemy of our souls, and to be able to live this life you've called us to live with perseverance and endurance, running the good race you've called us to run. That the end of our lives, people would look back and say, that was a story of salvation. That whereas once we were blind, but God, now we see. Once we were lost, but we've been found. All because of the grace, the work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Let it be so, God. Let it be so, God. Amen. Amen. As we sing this song in closing, we're going to open up this altar. If you're here this morning, maybe you lifted your hand. You just sense you need prayer. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You sense you need prayer this morning. We're going to open up this altar for you and, and invite you to come and pray. Someone will come and, and pray with you this morning. Come on, let's sing it together. Oh, God, we look to you this morning. Yeah. 
to say, God, would you reign in my life today? Spirit of God, will you touch me and help me and keep me? Give me wisdom. Give me discernment, God. Give me the strength to run this race as you would have me to run it. Help us, oh God, that our story would be a story of salvation, that we'd be able to testify of how you lifted us up, how you lifted us up from that miry clay. You set our feet on solid ground. Oh God, how you saved us from destruction. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the salvation of God this morning? Amen. Amen. And let's never forget, there's no one who's too far out of reach from the grace of God. Whether they're here in the United States or in Argentina or Brazil or Africa or China, wherever they are, God is able to reach them. And we need to continue to pray. Even as this is our mission Sunday, we need to continue to pray for the peoples of our world, that there will be Gibeonites all around the world that say, I want what, those, what that church has. I want to know the salvation of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. As I close in prayer, again, if you're here and you need prayer, I just want to invite you to come to this altar. There'll be someone who will come and meet you here to pray with you. I'm going to ask our missionaries if you guys want to slip to the back to your table there and so that you can greet the people. Don't forget to get a card there and check out the book that's there. Amen. Thank you, Decholios, for being here with us this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, Father, we do thank you for your presence here this morning, the ministry of your spirit and the ministry of your word. I pray your hand a blessing upon your people as we go from this place. And, God, that our hearts be always tuned into you and what you have for our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.